Mishra Philia, Roto Genesis, Love's Only You over on the inside. Mishra, it's not his in front of the Shima Classic. A Shima Classic comes up and it's Mishra. This is the Mishrif we've seen the world over, producing his best form back in the UK, and Mishrif absolutely blitzes them in the jugbot. A Saudi Cup, Shima Classic, and a first domestic Group 1 uh, in the Judmont International. David, I'm surprised that it's not a huge grin across your face for, for the money, if not nothing else. <laughs> no, just... Uh... It's nice to watch them replays back, all three of them big wins all in a row. Um, hopefully there'll be uh, more memories to come in the near future. I mean, I, I, I introduced you by saying 22 years of age, because I, I almost find it hard, because it feels like you've been around for longer. I remember when you, obviously, you turned professional, back with the whole Palasta, Roger Berry and Goodwood time. Sure. Um, how, how, how much do you think things have progressed uh, and the speed of progression? Has it been expected? Has it been quicker than you thought? Yeah, obviously, uh, I won Champion Apprentice in my second season riding, which that was all seemed a bit of a rush and didn't go out that season expecting to be Champion Apprentice. Um, since I won that, since I obviously turned professional fairly early in my career, it, it's a big step. It's okay riding lots of winners in an apprentice. Everyone wants to use you for your seven, five, and three pound claim. But once you get thrown into the deep end at 18, as I was, it, it takes a while to adjust and to be confident in your own ability to get the job done. And thankful I've been given many opportunities mm. since I have turned professional. As you said, Pilaster was my first ride as a fully fledged jockey <laughs> in a group two to win the Little Langtry for a boss, Mr. Varian. And for Cheveley Park, it's it was that was a fantastic day, and that gave me the yeah. confidence at the right time that I probably needed as a as a young rider. And, and nothing more uh, of a uh, of a success story and a dream horse, I can imagine for you than than Mishrif. And, and we'll come to Mishrif uh, a little bit later on. But I'd, I'd love to go back to the start because see, reading up about you and and knowing a bit about your background, and you are on both sides of the pedigree, bred for the job. I mean, it, it couldn't, you know, when you talk about uh, Galileo out of Ouija board, for example, it, it's kind of it's kind of the pedigree for, for David Egan to succeed in, in racing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you could say so. I know with uh, the book one, Tassels, I've told <laughs> Yearling Sales, I, I might have got a, a spot in book one for sure with my family, both flat and jump racing. I'm in a very privileged position, I can't forget that, but uh, along with the position I've in, I've worked tremendously hard to, to get where I am. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because uh, just I don't know whether you know anything about this, but the Australian Cricket Academy, everybody who goes into the Australian Cricket Academy, uh, when they come in, they give them all the same speech. They all say to them, well done, you've got amazing talent, so well done for that. But it's nothing for you to be proud of because those genes belong to your parents. What you do with that talent is what you will eventually be proud of. So at what point did you realise that it's going to be hard work and I'm going to have to do what I have, everything in my power to make a success of the genes and of, of the opportunities. Yeah, I think from a young age, seeing my mother take up training ranks and my father being a jockey all his life, seeing him uh, work hard day in, day out, it's grown up inside a race and I understand the game from a very, very young age from maybe other people looking to come into racing at 15, 16, 17, I kind of got that 
insight into what it takes to really, really make. And I think I've used that to my advantage for sure. What was the first experience that you think maybe set you set you on the path? Obviously, we know your dad, John, uh, your mum, the, the Hughes side of the family, etc. Um, but your own personal experience of, of when you felt, yeah, you know, this is this is really made me realise what I'm going to do. Was it when you went to William McCreary's, perhaps, or, yeah, or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so growing up in Ireland, I used to ride out for my grandfather, Desi Hughes. I used to ride the quiet jumpers and... Look, I, I could ride, but I wouldn't class myself as a outstanding young rider as a kid. I was probably a little below average, you could say, with, really? with my pedigree. But, uh, yeah, my grandfather made the right decision, really looking at it in hindsight. If he hadn't said that to me that day, I mightn't be where I am. He um, told me to go down to William McCurries, who trained down the road, and he said, if you want to be a jockey, you want to be a flat jockey, you're small enough, so go and give it a go. And... Went down, asked Mr. McCurry for a job, and uh, yeah, I was there from 14, 15, 16 until I left school, and I learned a tremendous lot there. What did you learn? What were the things that, that woke you up to the job? Yeah, learned, I suppose, well, at least to get run away with a lot. That's for <laughs> starters. I uh, learned how hard it was. I used to, I was probably spoiled riding out at home. I used to ride just the quiet horses there. I was probably putting the more challenging rides and I had to sort of wake up and realise it's it's time to improve and yeah. get better and week on week I think I got better and probably Willie would probably say the same and by the time I left it's probably made me the young man I, I was to head off to England. Did you have any role models? Were there any other riders perhaps that you, you leaned on? Obviously you have the the, the, the benefit of, of a family, but was there anyone outside of the of the family unit that maybe you, you looked up to or spoke to? Yeah, look, being surrounded by a lot of people in racing, obviously my family, but then we'd have a lot of family friends in racing, so I've had a lot of advice from a lot of different people, which is a big advantage to have, so you can take little bits off. Instead of having one role model, you could take little bits off 10 or 20 people yeah. who I'd have close relationships with. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're all a big help and greatly appreciated. And you made it over to the British Racing School, is that right? And yeah. how did that switch come about? And when did you decide, yeah, I'm going to leave Ireland, I'm going I'm to go over to, to Britain? Yeah, obviously, at 16, to my uh, mother's dislike, I wanted to leave school and become a jockey. And I felt... To give myself the best opportunity to become a successful jockey as an apprentice, I thought England was the best way to go. Um, was that hard as a 16-year-old saying, I want to leave home, I want to leave the, the protection of, of where I've grown up my whole life, to, or where, where I've spent you know, such a large proportion of my life, to, to go away, basically? Yeah, as we touched on before, I've been surrounded by a lot of good people that I could get advice and get their point of view, and obviously... <laughs> Probably for my mother, it was hard to see her son move away from home and go over to England. But dad was obviously, he stopped riding for a number of years to run first and stood. I stood near the car and uh, he was going back race riding. So it was the perfect opportunity that I could uh, leave home, but also stay close to my dad that he could sort of keep me on the straight <laughs> and narrow for my uh, upcoming years in, in Newmarket. Uh, and 
People often talk about little moments that make a difference, luck perhaps. Um, and at the end of the, the British Racing School spell, am I right in thinking that's when you first had a taste of time at Roger Verins? Absolutely, How yeah. did that come about? So at the end of my, uh, I went on a four-week course in the British Racing School, which sort of any, anyone going into racing, no matter what, level of riding ability they have to do some sort of foundation course there which is fantastic facility there at the british racing school um so at the end of my three weeks on the last week we were given the opportunity to go out and ride out at the stable and my instructor aideen marshall who his partner mike marshall was assistant trainer to roger varian at the time yeah. just so happy henry cecil exactly like yeah he was uh that was the deciding factor, whether it was pre-empted or I was just one of the two young apprentices or up upcoming apprentices at the time that were uh, sent off to, to Roger Varian's. And uh, at the end of my week, we had a had a chat and he offered me a, a job as sort of there and ride out, not so much as a, I never expected to be in the position I am couple of years later but uh it just all built up and uh tremendously appreciated to everyone at the yeah. british racing school to oh. give me that opportunity and what was it like having obviously had the experience that you did in ireland at william mccrews etc then gone to the racing school and then gone into that bigger yard at, at newmarket at roger Verens is as big as there is uh, at racing's hq what was that change of scenery like for you yeah massive look i'd understood big training establishments growing up but to actually go in and be one of the people part of the cog in the wheel you could say even though I was just going in there riding out a couple of lots in the morning every every little helps and I think just to realise the mass amount of people like Roger he could have 50 or 100 people working for him and to see that many people yeah. working for one organisation it was unbelievable and to see all the good horses so when I was going in there riding out, Kingston Hill had just won the ledger and second in the derby and so many tremendously good horses and to get the opportunity to be part of that team was a real honour for me at such a young age. And it's quite a, a, a large group of jockeys that Rogers uh, has assembled over the years. Obviously there's Andrea, yeah. there's yourself, there's Jack, there's Ray. Um, what's that camaraderie like just within the yard? Yeah, look, obviously going in there, I looked up to Jack and Andrea. They've been a huge help teaching me from 16 years of age, riding work with them every day, giving them little tips. Before I even drove, they used to give me lifts racing. So a big, big thanks have to go out to them two lads, Jack and Andrea. Um, obviously, they've seen me progress and riding alongside them now, and I call them very good friends as well. Yeah. To, to, to win the apprentice title... Um, as quickly as you did, um, do you now or have you reflected on the time uh, and said, you know, that was some achievement? Yeah, I, it all happened in a bit of a flash, really. Um, obviously, I rode, I think, six winners my first first season, and then I went off to America and sort of learned time and things like that, like a lot of apprentices do nowadays, and uh, came back and. I think I had a winner for Mr. Ellsworth, mm. a filly called Tis But A Dream at Ascot in sort of May or June time. It wasn't the Royal Meeting, it was before that. Yeah. She had eight stone and I was claiming seven pounds, so she had seven stone, seven on her back. And obviously I was very, very light back then. And uh, 
I think having that Ascot winner, it was on ITV, yeah. walking in, getting interviewed afterwards, I think that was a big help in my young career to kind of get my name out there and just show I could uh, deliver on the big stage. And from that day, I just felt it snowballed. I rode my first double. Then later on in the season, I rode my first treble at Chepstow. And uh, yeah, I remember a lot from that season. It was all quick, but you kind of take out kind of main pinpoints in throughout the season and uh, all that to accumulate and come up against a very good jockey in Kieran Schumacher who yeah. put put it right to the wire and thankfully I won by one winner. We both went to Catrick to yeah. get as many winners as we could. We both skipped Ascot to go to get the That's winners right. and uh, we both drew blank on the day. So, uh, no, it was uh, good to win, but uh, Kieran was very, uh, very good in defeat. But you must know, David, that very often through the history of horse racing we speak about apprentices that do well and then fall away we we never hear of them again or they they drop down the ladder uh, so much so that you wonder what's happened to all their potential and you must have been aware of that yet you turned pro obviously pretty quickly uh, even though you were still in contention for another apprentice title uh, the following year um, were you ever conscious of of the decision being was there any, ever any uncertainty about that decision? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, as I said before, it's a big step to jump from an apprentice, even though you've lost your claim, to go out and be a fully-fledged jockey. You're riding off-level weights with the best in the world, Frankie Dettori, Ryan Moore, William Buick, James yeah. Doyle. That's just to name a few of the quality of riders we have here in the UK is phenomenal and uh, yeah it was obviously a big step but I, I had a lot of good people around me and a lot of good support which every young jockey needs and I was given opportunities at a young age and Pilasta was just one example of that. Yeah. You also mentioned about going abroad um, and I, if I remember correctly you've done a lot of travelling America, India, Australia um, I think you were just you in India just before COVID hit, and you managed to to get out. I mean, Absolutely. is that something that your dad has instilled in getting experience uh, around the world to to make yourself a better rider? Yeah, he obviously he's gone through it firsthand, so he knows exactly what you need to get to go and make it. And uh, from a young age, even before I'd even got my license, he always instilled in me how important it was to travel the world and see the different styles of riding. I know. Uh, when I was working for Mr. Varian, I went off to Australia before I even had my license. I was still 16. Right. He sent me off to a friend of his, Gavin Slater, in Perth. So I did a couple of weeks there, track work, obviously, yeah. family friend to dad, Gavin was. And uh, although he could keep an eye on me, it was a big sort of jump, never been away on my own before. And uh, it's all sort of a feather in my cap. The following year I went to America to Jose Corrales, who was a big help to me in sort of becoming more uh, stylish and stronger in the saddle and learning times and track work and what have you. And uh, yeah. I went back the following season back to Jose and uh, the next winter I went to India, as you said, which was a yeah. experience in itself, but that was... Uh, makes it fairly sharp India the way they ride over there it's very fast at the gates and a bit rough and ready but uh, it's all a, all a big help in moulding my uh, riding career Can I just ask uh, obviously you, 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 you seem pretty mature already for uh, a 22 you, you've seen mature for a while but were you homesick? Did you get sad 
in those moments when you go away to Australia, you know, just because you're, you're still a kid going away and being away from home. I mean, is that tough? Is yeah, that- I, don't, I don't think I've ever felt homesick because when you're going, it's all, I think when I'm riding horses, it's all business. That's what I'm comfortable and okay. happy with, whether if I was traveling abroad to the other side of the world, maybe going to college or university, yeah. something I mightn't be uh, as comfortable with and around people I'm... I enjoy, I might find it a bit harder, but because once I'm around horses, I'm at ease, and I think uh, that's a big help in stopping me from being homesick. But, of course, maybe 30, 40 years ago, people travelling away to America yeah. and Australia might have been a lot difficult, a postcard or a, a yeah. phone call once a fortnight might have been all, all they had, but with WhatsApp, yeah. Skype, all yeah. these things, uh, you're a lot closer to home, and the world's... Uh, a lot smaller place. Yeah, that's that's the benefit of being part of this world now. Unlike us, when we have to put ten p in the meter and call call collect call. Actually, um, you probably don't even know what a collect call is. Do Absolutely you? not. <laughs> Something to do with a telephone box, is it? <laughs> uh, whatever we talk about, David, a jockey cannot do it and cannot rise to the top unless you get on the right horse. You mentioned Pilaster, and horses have got you into business. We end up with a contract uh, riding for for Prince Faisal. Um, and that's brought you to, to Mishrif. So let's talk about this horse, because I imagine that, I mean, the smile on your face says it all. I mean, the first time you sat on Mishrif, what did you think of it? First time I sat on Mishrif was at Nottingham when he broke his maiden. And from what I remember of the day, it was very, very testing ground. It was probably this, this time of year. And uh, yeah, it was a horse that I've obviously watched his replays and I got the call to ride a maiden on his third start for Mr. Gosden, which was a big deal. Yeah. Um, I'd ridden a two, or two about two, probably two winners for Prince Faisal for Mr. Gosden on yeah. two other horses, and uh, I was lucky enough to get on board him that day and win a maiden by a, a yeah. real distance. <laughs> but he, the way he travelled into his race, he's a horse from a from his two-year-old days. He had his that. Yeah. Sort of trademark low head carriage as he, as everyone sees nowadays, yeah. and uh, the way he travelled into his race on the heavy ground and to quicken away and to hit the line like he did. And I looked around and not so much to win a margin, but the feel he gave me at that early stage. I knew he was something special, and I explained on racing TV that day what I thought, and he literally could be anything. I said on air, and uh, I wasn't far wrong. But to be fair, I didn't think he'd go to the yeah. lengths he he has done. Yeah to keep the riding him when he went to the Saudi Derby was a big deal for me. It was my first um, sort of travel abroad to ride a, yeah. an international horse on the big stage. And uh, he ran a tremendous race, finishing second. Back then, he was a horse that had a tendency to jump a stride slow, which we know on the dirt is a big disadvantage. Yeah. But uh, he used that experience to, to good stead. And uh, obviously, he had a tremendous three-year-old campaign, winning a French Derby and yeah. going on to big things. And... Uh, yeah, then going winning the Saudi Cup the following well, year was it, yeah, tremendous. Because you say he could well, in that interview, you said he could be anything, but he's he's more than anything. he's everything because he he can do it all over a variety of trips, over a variety of surfaces. So take me to the the Saudi Cup um, and the confidence that you would have had going into that race, because clearly the the Americans have the advantage on dirt. That's the way it's always been. How confident were you that you could lower their colours? For sure, I think that. Uh, ex- track experience he had the year before was a big advantage to him although the American horses were used to running on dirt 
I think Mishrif could have been one of the only horses, international horses, anywhere in the field that had raced in Riyadh. Um, just watching him there. He was a long way back from the Japanese horse turning into the straight and off the bridle a long way from home, but thankfully he was able to get himself into a lovely position in behind the leaders this day and to track the two American horses into the straight and to sort of be in a ding-dong battle with Charlatan and to pass them inside the last 100 yards was a, a feeling I don't think I'll ever get. Obviously, I was very ecstatic crossing the line and uh, a lot of emotions went through my head, but... It was a tremendous night and I was just so happy for the horse because I knew what he could do and I knew he had a, a real chance. Maybe a lot of people disregarded him because they thought the American horses were so much more superior on yeah. dirt, but the way he was training that week, I rode him out every morning when he got to Riyadh and uh, I knew what he could do and uh, I was happy he went in and got it done. Well, he, he did get it done, uh, nine furlongs on dirt, but then go to, to the to the Dubai World Cup meeting and some people thinking well he, he'll go for the Dubai World Cup right because it's only a furlong more and it's also on the dirt but no he goes to a mile and a half on the turf and a good field as well chronogenesis serves it up to you um, talk me through this you're uh, near the back on the outside yeah this is just a perfect example of how much a legendary trainer Mr Gosden is and with the help of Tady who went out and travelled with, with Misriff throughout the season I was given free reign to ride him this day um, we had obviously stepping up three furlongs which is a, a big change and back on turf we're obviously going to have to ride him very differently, he's quite an exuberant horse in his races and uh, to switch him off at the back of the field I was going down the back straight looking I had sort of ten lengths to make up and on such a top class field it was going to be a big challenge but I had the just full confidence in Mishriff and what he could accomplish and uh, the race worked out perfectly he relaxed he was in a good rhythm and uh, showed a good turn of foot up the straight and uh, yeah what an accomplishment to, yeah. to win the, the richest race on dirt over nine furlongs and to come to travel all the way back to England turn around come back to yeah. Maidan to train for the week and to win the an international group one over a mile and a half on turf. It's a tremendous accomplishment from a horse, and I, I don't even remember a, a horse that's done such yeah. a thing in, in recent times anyway. Maybe you might be uh, able to tell me on a, of another horse, but to do what he's accomplished on dart and turf over various distances, I, I can't think of one. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to be crass, because I, I, don't, I don't want to know anything at all about what you do, but, but you're a young guy as well, winning all that money. I mean, that would blow a lot of people's minds to, to know that sort of money is now, you know, the, two, the richest race in the world. You took the Saudi Cup, then the Shima Classic, which is worth a lot of money. I mean, does that thing, do you ever think about stuff like that, or does someone else deal with that for you? I think after we won the, the Shima Classic, my flight was at two o'clock in the morning that night and your first class flight obviously yeah <laughs> business but uh we'll uh straight into hotel quarantine uh, right at the holiday inn so that brought me back to <laughs> earth and i think although it was hard to go into quarantine it was nice to just sort of regroup and relax and maybe realize what i've accomplished in such a short period of time and uh got to grips on how good a horse mischief is and to how lucky i was to be in the position to to ride him and all thanks to, to Prince Faisal for having the faith in such a yeah. young person to ride one of the best horses in the world. He could have gone for any other rider in, in the world. So, uh, look, in that regard, I'm very thankful to 
Prince Faisal, Ted Broughton, Mr. Gosden to have the faith in me to put me on a horse such as Mishraf. And I suppose what's really special this year, and great that he won those two Berg races abroad, but it must mean a lot for you to get a domestic Group 1 win aboard Mishraf and in the manner that he did in the, in the Judd Mon International. Yeah, I think that was the the long-term seasonal plan that his main goal was to win the Jodhmar International, obviously dropping back to a mile and a quarter. A lot of the, it's obviously a, a stallion-making race. It's the highest-rated race on average in the world the year before previously anyway. And uh, look, to do what he did, it was obviously very high pressure for me to, to get the job done. And uh, I was just happy that I could able to prove myself to... I could obviously put Mishraf in a position to to win, and but look, Mishraf does what he does, and yeah. he gets the job done, and I'm just a lucky pilot to steer him in the right direction. Now, we're, we're less than a week away from the, the champion stakes, and I hate to say this, but the one blot on his copybook is last year's champion stakes, but is that simply down to the ground? And with the likelihood of, of better ground this year, you're not worried at all? Yeah, obviously, um, Mr. Gosden... Um, explained last year and he wasn't comfortable on the ground and he showed himself he didn't even finish in the first four he was you couldn't even see him in the finish so uh, obviously you just put a pure line through that and the fact that he went straight to Saudi from there to go win the the best race in the world was uh, an example of how you could just put a line through that and I think the way he ran at Ascot Finishing behind the Derby winner, they are giving him so much weight um, over a mile and a half, and it's a yeah. it's a stiff mile and a half. I think that just stretched him, and you could see Adair doing his best walk in the final furlong, whereas Mishra's run was probably just petered out the last hundred yards. Yeah. So over a stiff mile and a quarter, I think on turf that's his optimum trip, and with the weather forecast looking good, it's a. Uh, Looking hopeful for next Saturday. Win, lose or draw? Just just describe how much you love this horse. Oh, he's a horse that's going to hopefully make my career. And he's a horse, look, hopefully I've got a long, successful career riding many good horses. And I think Mishraf will uh, always have a special place in my heart. <laughs>